Well, here we go. So we, we completed our sermon series in 2 Peter last week, and we're going to be spending the next four or five weeks um, learning from the book of Acts and the early apostles, um, those that were with Jesus, um, that what it means to be the community of God on the mission of God. I'm really excited about this, because this really gets me excited. It really gets me excited to think about how can we learn from the early church that had the Spirit of God, filled with the Spirit of God, and were going out and were seeing amazing things happen. And the Lord is still able to do amazing things today in and through us. And so I'm excited, and I hope you are too, about looking at this together. What does it mean to be the people of God, a community together, the church, on the mission of God? And what can we learn as we go through just over the next four or five weeks what can we learn and what can we take away? And it's something that 13 years ago when Oikos started, I think it's 13 years, I always lose count, we'll give or take a year or so, um, that we started by looking at when the, the, the church first, first formed, looking at what was happening in the early church, how was that community living, what can we learn from them? And we did it every few years. And looking out on the church today, we're, we're a different church than we were a few years ago when we last look, looked at this. So I think it's really helpful for us to see, okay, how is Oikos seeking to encourage us? How we as a church seeking to be encouraged to live our lives for God, for Christ? So I hope that this is helpful and I hope that it helps us be effective and fruitful and, powerful, and, and with the power of the Spirit on the mission of God. And I'm excited by this. And so what we see is here in the book of Acts, we, are, we see that it's part two of Luke's gospel. So Luke wrote Luke's gospel and the book of Acts. And it starts with the mission that Jesus gives to his first apostles. And that becomes the mission of every single one of us here today that knows and loves Jesus. Jesus basically says, he says, I want you to be my spirit-filled witnesses. And I want you... To travel right across the world, sharing this news, sharing the gospel of what you've witnessed and the hope that you have. That's the message. Go and share that hope with people all across the world. And what is that hope that we have? It's an amazing hope, isn't it? It's a sure and steadfast hope. The hope that whether in life or death, we are with God's That there is hope in this life and there's hope of where we're going to be going. And that is a hope that this community, Erdington, Sutton Coalfield, Birmingham, the world need to hear. And they need to grasp that hope because there is, you look out on this place, you look out at your workplaces, there isn't much hope. The hope is in this world that is not going to last. But we have a far better hope to offer people. And imagine the way you could live differently in your life right now, knowing that your life and death are secure. What difference would it make? Not by being confused by it or having a doubt about your future, but knowing for sure you're going to a far better place. It would change how you live now. It changes how we live now, doesn't it? Think about, like sometimes I struggle to think about what do people think of me? Luckily, I'm not thinking here at the moment, what are 35 people thinking about me at the moment? But sometimes I do worry, what do people think of me? But when I'm secure in knowing where I'm going, that doesn't matter so much. How successful we are, or how successful I am, it doesn't matter in the light of eternity. 
It radically changes what we live for and how we live. No longer do we need to live for ourselves because God affirms us and our hope is secure. We can live for the good of others. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. People so secure of where their hope was that they were living for one another and other people. But we have to remember, as we look at this passage in a moment in Acts chapter 2, famous passage, we must remember that what we do has to come out of that, of who we are. We can't just do, 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 do. We have to be secure in the knowledge that we are loved more than we could ever imagine, that we have been redeemed at a great cost, that we've been brought into God's family, that we're united with Christ. And then out of that, out of that place, that security of knowing that we are so firmly and unbelievably loved, we get to go on God's mission to tell the world about Jesus. And the exciting thing is, he has placed you wherever you are at this moment for a particular purpose. What workplace you're in, what church you're part of, what street you live on, God knows that you're there. And he has given you a purpose to go and tell the world about him. So you may be thinking, should I change my career? Should I do this? Maybe you should. But in the here and now, you have a call on your life, a purpose that is greater than any other, to be his hands and feet wherever you go. But in Acts chapter 1, he tells the apostles to wait. Wait until the power of the Spirit, to the Holy Spirit, comes upon you. Without that, you can do nothing. Without the Holy Spirit, the apostles could do absolutely nothing. Peter quotes from the prophet Joel that the Holy Spirit will come. It's been promised. It has always been promised. And then they receive it on the day of Pentecost. And then what does Peter do? Peter, who denied Jesus three times, then stands in front of the very people that killed him, killed Jesus, and then he speaks the gospel over them. He tells them it was them that killed this Jesus of Nazareth. And what happened this time? They were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart and 3,000 come to know him in one moment. Isn't that amazing? 3,000 people recognise and repent of their sins and put their hope in Christ. Well, let's have a look at this passage then. Acts chapter 2. It's on the screen, that's brilliant. Um, But it's also, if someone can shout out the page to me, that would be great. 1,094. 1,094. Brilliant. Let's read these words. Famous words that I know um, we've covered many times, but they're brilliant and they're just great for us today, I think. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved.
So today, my plan is to do like a big overview of this passage of kind of what are the patterns and the rhythms that we see happening here in the early church once they've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And yes, it was 2,000 years ago, but although these aren't commands about how we must live, they're not prescriptive, they are descriptive. And we see that there's much fruit that happens here as they were obedient to what the Holy Spirit had for them to do. For some of us here, we may have heard this many times, so I ask that you um, are refreshed, or I pray that you're refreshed by this and excited by this. And for some of you, you may have never heard this before, heard these words before, and I pray that these would really inspire you and excite you for the purpose that God has for you in the here and now, and how we can seek to live a life that is honouring and pleasing to him. So, also, let's see these verses as a bit of a health regime. We talked about what makes you healthy earlier, didn't we? Well... What does the early church do to keep itself fit and healthy? What does it do to keep itself being uh, being led by the Spirit? And when we talk about being led by the Spirit, we're going to look at that um, in in the coming weeks. But we have, it talks about a lot about being um, walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. And it's the Spirit that initiates um, our obedience and then we have to walk in it. So the Spirit gives us the opportunity to be obedient, and, um, but we are to walk in it. We are to, the Spirit initiate, initiates it and we are to then be obedient and to follow in the strength of the Spirit what he has for us to do. And that's exactly what the early apostles were doing, the early Christians. They were, they were filled with the Spirit and then they were obedient to what the Spirit was asking them to do. And I pray that for us as a church is what we would be too. So firstly, we've got nine things, quick things, nine short things, what we see here. We see, first of all, a community who, are devoted, who devoted themselves to the word. They were devoted to the word of God. The Holy Spirit comes upon them and then they're hungry for the word. As soon as the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they're hungry for the word. The Old Testament scriptures that they had at this time. And they were a community that was first and foremost centred upon the teachings. The teachings that God had given them in the Old Testament. Through the prophets. And I love that it would have been their daily bread. It's what they were started feasting upon. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by the word of God. And they were really living that out in their community. Devoted to it every day in the word, regularly, together, on their own. How hungry are we for the words? As a church, as individuals, how hungry are we for the word of God? Is it something that we desire? Is it something that we want to feast on day and night because we know it is our sustenance? That's my desire for us, my desire for myself, for all of us here, is that that the first thing we want to do in the morning is read his word. That The last thing we want to do at night is read his word. And what we want to do at lunchtime, we want to read his word. Because we know it is good for us. It is healthy for us to do so. In the early church, we see they were committed, they were hungry for his word. It's powerful, it's fuel for the fire. It gives us direction, it, it, it gives us clarity, it gives us, um, helps us make our choices and our decisions. Well, secondly, we see that it's a community that's devoted to one another. They were devoted to one another, to the teaching and to the fellowship. And this idea of fellowship is having this oneness, a oneness of spirit, that they can only have because of Jesus Christ unifying them. It's the same spirit in each of us. Each believer here has the same spirit and it unifies us. We are one family. 
And they enjoyed being together. It's unlike any other friendship that we have. Why? Because the same spirit lives in us. It doesn't mean that we don't like other people. It doesn't mean that at all. But there's a special devotion that believers have to one another. And I just, um, I'm always amazed, and I've shared, many of you will know this story, already about this um, Several years ago, when Evan was very small, he was, very, he was ill over um, about a year-long period. We were in and out of hospital. And um, we were told by the hospital we could go on holiday. And so we went on holiday to the middle of nowhere in Wales, in Pembrokeshire. Had a wonderful first week. And then one morning we woke up and we found that Evan was blue in the face, not breathing properly. We were miles from anywhere. So we got into the car. We drove to the local hospital about 25 minutes away. And they couldn't deal with him there. So they put him oxygen, got him an ambulance, rushed into another hospital for another hour away. Very stressful. Got to that hospital, put in the high, um, high dependency unit. And within half an hour of me texting some people in the church saying, please pray for us. Um, I don't know where I'm going to stay. don't know what we're going to do. don't know how long we're going to be here. Within 30 minutes of that text message going out, a man walked through the door and said, you're coming to live with me. And unbelievable. His wife had just had a baby three days before in that same hospital. Their fourth child. And because he was a brother in Christ, I'd never met him before, but he said, you're a brother in Christ. And he took me to his home and I stayed there for a week. Amazing that this special bond that we have, that as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we may not even know each other very well. But there's that, that oneness that we have. And then this commitment to one another that if someone's in need, we get to go and serve that need and help that person in need, even if we don't know them. A special devotion and a care for one another that is just so beautiful to see. Thirdly, we see a community devoted to the breaking of bread. What did they do? They recognised their need to remember Jesus. They recognised their need to do that. Finding ways to remember their hope in life and their hope in death. Through the ordinance that Jesus had given the apostles, which was the breaking of bread. Communion. The practice that he did in the upper room with his disciples where he's, he's, he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Take this bread in remembrance of me. This is my blood that was spilled for you. That paid the cost for your sin. They found ways regularly to remember what Jesus had done. They needed to remember what he had done. And I can imagine just how beautiful and passionate their times of breaking bread together would have been. The, the heartache of knowing that Jesus died for their sin, but the excitement of knowing the Holy Spirit is in them and that, and that what he's going to do through them. You see, communion, breaking bread, remembering Jesus helps us deal with the disappointments in our lives. We get to go to the cross each and every time. When we're broken for our sin or we don't know what to do with it, we can go to the cross every single time. And we can remember that when we come together and break bread together. And encourage one another, look, Jesus has died upon the cross for you. You're doing this in remembrance of him. Remember that he has taken it all and paid for it all. And there are many other ways in which we can remember who God is and what he's done. Journal reflection. I know many people here will, I know Nikki's got about 3,000 journals at home that she just writes and writes and writes each and every single day to remember what Jesus has done in her life. Do you have a pattern of reading scripture that you really enjoy, meditating on his word? These are ways in which we remember him. 
I want to be a community that is devoted to remembering Jesus each and every single day, not just once a week or once every two weeks when we take communion together here. We could be doing it in our gospel communities regularly, couldn't we? We could be doing it with one another, with other work colleagues, uh, if there's other Christians in your workplace. Well, fourthly, we see a community devoted to prayer. A community that's devoted to prayer. If you look through the book of Acts and all the amazing things that happen, all starts with intense prayer. All starts with intense prayer. They're meeting together and then praying and worshipping. They were praying privately, corporately, without ceasing. They were praying for the sick. They were praying for one another. They were praying, 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 praying. A healthy church prays together. A healthy church prays together. And we, why do we pray? Because when we pray, we're talking to God, the only one that we have hope in, and we get to talk to our loving Heavenly Father. It shows our dependency as well. Why, why do we pray? Because it shows that we can't do this. God, you've got to act in this. Praying shows our dependency upon him. Me and Harriet were talking about this. Um, I hope you don't mind, Harriet. You don't even know what I'm saying, but I'll say it anyway. But if you just nod, that's great. We're talking about how um, um, in the times that we've been in real need um, for the cafe and for the church, there have been times of the sweetest prayer that we've had. where We've been digging into prayer saying, Lord, you've got to provide, you've got to provide. And what, guess what happens? He provides. And then things get, he provides and things get okay. And then what happens? Our prayers decrease. Well, that's true of my life, I confess. But it's all about dependency. Saying you're good and I'm not, help me. But prayer matters because he hears every single word. He knows what we think even before we say it. I want us to be a community that prays together. Fifthly, a community of radical generosity. A community of radical generosity. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. It's extraordinary, isn't it? And I'm not asking you to go away and sell your property at all. I'm not saying that at all. But there's something beautiful about them taking care of one another and knowing what each other's needs were. And they bought it and they gave whatever they had so that no one was in need. Voluntary, sacrificial giving rooted in their vision of who Christ was and out of their union with him, knowing that they are his and nothing can take that away. And so can I encourage us? I want us to be a community that is generous. I believe we are, but I want us to grow in it. But we've all been given things to steward. Some is money, some it's time, some it's both, some it may be other things. But, but, but how do we steward these things well? Maybe it's a question to ask ourselves individually and as a gospel community and as a wider church. Is, is are we being good stewards of what we've been given? How could we use what we've been given to bless others? That's the whole point of us having things, is so we can use them and enjoy them, but also bless others with them. What do you have that you can use to bless others? I know I can grow in this. I certainly can grow in this. But the more their hearts were changed by God's spirit, the more sensitive they they became to people's needs around them. The more sensitive they were and changed by God's spirit, the more sensitive they became to those around them. And their needs. Is there somebody you know, a fellow believer, maybe not a believer, someone on your street that you know is in need at the moment? There's a beautiful moment when one of the team um, saw a need with one of the mums in Mums Meet this week. 
heard of a need, and immediately ran down to get their money and give me some money to give to this family that were in need. Radical generosity. I've got this, I don't need this money. This person clearly needs this money. Isn't it beautiful? What a a witness. And I love this, that the early church would not let anyone go to bed hungry or homeless. It was the church that that were the origins of serving and helping others. Isn't that amazing? They wouldn't want anyone to go in need or to bed homeless. I want us to be a church of increasing radical generosity. And hear me out, I believe we are generous. Praise the Lord for it. But let's be radically generous. Sickly, a community living out their faith every single day. A community living out their faith every day. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and broke bread in their homes with glad and sincere hearts. They lived their faith out every single day. Not just on a Sunday, not just on a Sunday morning, not just maybe one night a week on a Wednesday night if they were extra holy and did a Bible study. This was every single day. Some of them would have had jobs, other things to do. Every single day they met together. Unbelievable, isn't it? This is not, I'll see you next Sunday. This is, I'm in your life. And I'm around and I'm in your life. And you can, I want to be in your life. This was enjoying one another. Concern for other one. Not excluding anybody. In each other's lives. And, and I love this, they were doing it in the big and the small. The temple courts. Where else could fit 3,000 people? They had to gather somewhere. But then also they couldn't all... F- they couldn't all fit, live life together each and every single day with 3,000 of them. That would, have been, well, I mean, that would have been pretty impressive, wouldn't it? But they went into each other's homes, broke bread together there. Deep, intimate um, fellowship they had with one another as well. Investing in one another. This is not about big versus small. This is about meeting in different ways and being in each other's lives to build one another up in Christ. Wonderful, isn't it? Now, it's hard when we're, if we're working 12 hours. It's hard if we're working long days and so forth. So I get that. But there's something here for us as a church, I think, is how can we be in each other's lives? We have the beauty of technology, don't we, now? Able to text someone knowing they've got a difficult day coming up. And we can text them with a word of scripture and say, I'm praying this over you right now. I know you've got a really hard week this week and you're not going to be around much. We're going to be praying for you at the community group this week. Know that we're praying for you. I'm going to drop off some food for you because I know you've got a really difficult... Um, you, um, your husband's gone away and you're on your own this week. We're going to cook some food for you this week. Some beautiful ways in which we can live out our faith in the every single day. And I can say that it's been beautiful and many times that I've seen that very much apparent here at Oikos. We want to grow in it, don't we? We want to grow in it. And seventhly, we want to be a community that have glad and sincere hearts. This is not turning up and being, oh, I've got to meet with these people today on a Sunday. I've got to go on a Wednesday. This is glad and sincere hearts, joyful hearts, that they get to be with one another. Could you imagine their testimony slots? They would have gone on for days. Jesus did this. He did this. Oh, you won't believe this. Beautiful, glad and sincere hearts. And they were seeing society change around them. Their faith 
was so joyous that other people were like, why are they so happy? What's different about these people? Jesus. And although the Roman, um, uh, the Roman Empire would try and oppress and try and defeat and try and um, get rid of this Christian presence, what happens? Sorry? They grew. They grew and they grew. And soon the Roman Empire became a Christian empire because they saw, they saw this group of people being oppressed but still loving and, being, and showing acts of kindness. And apparently, this may be wrong, no, this may be right, but I might have the wrong time frame. But when, uh, um, in fact, no, I won't go there because I want to make sure it's 100% right. But basically, the, the Christians were there at the forefront of caring for people that were oppressing them. When a plague hit, they were the last people to leave because they were loving and caring for people. With glad and sincere hearts. Maybe I could ask this question that has been something I've been pondering this week. Am I a person that enjoys gathering together on a Sunday or in the midweek with an awe-filled, with an awe-filled not awful, awe-filled, joyful heart? How do I come here? I, I want us to be a church that runs here on a Sunday morning and runs to our community groups and our hangouts and stuff because... We're going to be with people that have a glad and sincere and joyful heart. Are we that people? Maybe we need to calibrate ourselves and think about, do we recognise God's hand in the big and the small? Because if we do, we are going to be the most joyful people you're ever going to imagine. If we see God's hand in every small work. Number eight. A community displaying an attractive faith. They were a community that was displaying an attractive faith. Verse 47, they were praising God, enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily. I want some of that. They were enjoying the favour of all the people. People saw how they were, what they were doing, how they were living, how they were acting. And they had favour with them to begin with. People that didn't believe yet saw there was something different and then more and more were added to their number as they saw people living out this radical way. They were feeding widows of of people from all nations. Something that I was chatting to Clem and Sarah about from the Bruderhof community was they were saying that um, each, each family has an older person that is part that they live next door to. And they're part, they become part of that family to be cared for and to be loved in their old age. Beautiful, isn't it? What an attractive faith that is. And then what they also do is they go out into the community and do care for lo- the local community. So they get to see acts of kindness, acts of goodness, acts of compassion. They don't just keep it within the 300 of them in this village that they have. They go out into the local community to show acts of kindness so they can show that their faith is attractive. They shine bright in a broken world. I think even this week, the group of 12 Americans that we're thankful for, Jenny, who coordinated this, but this room is now a light grey with a dark grey here and a beautiful wood palleting around there that Ben helped with as well. They went down the high street giving out hundreds of free um, 
brownies to bless the community. They fed 25 people at an English meal. They had 30 children join our craft and kids evening to bless people that were in need and to show them loving acts of kindness. Absolutely, it was beautiful. And many were saying, why are you doing this? Why would you do such a thing? Why would you want to care for us in this way? Because of Jesus. And then finally, number nine, a community that was daily evangelising. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You can't be added unless you're here. The Spirit saves, but he uses us to speak the good news to people and share it and to live it out in front of them. It wasn't just Peter through his preaching that people came to faith, although that was a good way. It was through all of them, sharing a little bit of something of their faith. So for, for some, I know that telling people about Jesus petrifies us. It could be really scary to do it. But there are many ways in which we can talk about Jesus and we can show Jesus. So we can do it directly, telling, sharing them the gospel, point one, two, three, four, five, all that. We can do it through being in people's lives and just loving them and maybe writing a word of scripture in a card for their birthday. There are different ways in which we can do it and we can all be involved in some respects in that. But how do we get excited about telling people about Jesus? And this is something I want us to look at a little bit more detail another week. But it's by experiencing the work of God's spirit in our lives. Reminding ourselves and seeing there is only one hope in life and death. And his name is Jesus Christ. I want to be filled with the spirit. We're all filled with the spirit if we come to know Jesus. But we, we need that repeated infilling of the spirit each and every single day to help us go and be his hands and feet, to help us love one another, to help us share our faith. But the Spirit gives us that security, knowing that whatever happens in life or death, we are his. I'm blown away by these verses, and I think they're so powerful and so exciting to see how an early community can live. And it's how a community in 2023 can live may look slightly different but there's many ways in which we can seek to imitate a spirit-filled life obediently walking in the spirit to be all those things to be in his word to be sharing our faith to be praying without ceasing to be living and being generous with one another to be living closely with one another and I just just to finish with I just wanted to kind of um, share kind of what the vision of our, what the mission of our church is. We believe our God-given mission is to increasingly live all of life, loving God, loving others, and telling others about Jesus. All for his glory. And we also want to do it for the good of this great city of Birmingham. That's what we believe our God-given purpose is. And then next, our vision. How do we do that? How do we do it? Well, we believe we want to see gospel communities multiplying, multiplying gospel communities. These are small communities of light, intimate family units, so that every person in Birmingham hears the gospel and sees it lived out through us living as a family of missionary servants who make disciples, who we pray go on to make disciples. That's our heart as a church. 
We have four gospel communities at the moment, and they're pretty full. And we praise the Lord for that. So we want five, six, seven gospel communities. If this is something that you are not part of and you'd like to be part of a gospel community group, please come and see me. We would love to have you as part of one. But also, if you're interested in it, I'd love to, I would like to lead one of these or be involved in leading one of these. Come and speak to me as well because we anticipate, we feel that the Lord is going to bring in a great harvest soon. We feel that the, the sowing that we've done faithfully over these last couple of years, well, the last 13 years, but even since COVID, this last couple of years, we believe that a harvest is going to come in and we want them to, to not just experience Sunday morning as what church life is, but we want them to, to fully be immersed in what it means to be part of a family of God and a community that loves them and cares for them and get them back on that mission as well to go and tell others about Jesus. And so we would love to have another two or three gospel communities over this next 12 months doing this, living life together, working out what that means within our context. And I'm not sure we're going to have time to do this, but anyway, I'm going to put this on the board. Please take a picture of this. Um, but we might get a chance now to do a few moments of this, is a healthy church, as we've seen. We, we see it, we've seen a healthy early church, and I believe that we are a healthy church, but I want us to continue to be a healthy church and growing in, in healthiness. Um, four areas, biblical nourishment, fellowship, worship, and evangelism. Biblical nourishment, are we a community that is committed to being in the word of God? Are we a community that is growing and living in fellowship with one another? Worship. Are we a community that is growing in vibrant worship? That doesn't just mean singing with your hands in the air. That means all of our life being an act of worship. Are we growing in that? Are we more worshipful than we were 12 months ago? Evangelism. Are we a community that is growing in word and in deed and in outreach? Is our faith attractive? Are we generous to those around us? Are we engaging, telling other people about Jesus? Now remember, it looks like a lot of doing, but it comes out of who we are. Unless we're being nourished by the word of God, we are not going to be able to do any of this. But it excites me. It excites me to be this community, to grow in being this community that we see here in the early church. And I believe that we have here at Oikos as well. So...